0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio.
0: This is AppSATS Radio. Help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here.
1: Betrayal trauma.
0: We are AppSAT certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. That's right. It is time for us to put together a show where we. Talk about the hard things. You know, there is no doubt that sexual betrayal creates so many aftershocks. Aftershocks for the partner, who obviously is reeling from the sexual and the relational betrayal. Aftershocks for the sex addict himself, you know, There's a lot of times that there's so much guilt and shame, it's hard to know how to navigate through sex. And then to the coupleship that's so wounded, understandably. So I don't know if you got to listen to last week's show, but it was on sexual reintegration. And, you know, I guess what I want you to understand is that you've got to be with a a therapist who knows his or her stuff when you're talking these issues because sometimes you'll get the wrong advice and that can be a problem. And so I can't emphasize enough how important it is for you to go um, to appsats.org and look for somebody who's really good with partner betrayal, who understands and gets it and knows some of the interventions and the techniques to work through the trauma. And it's equally important to have somebody who knows how to work with sex addicts, whether they have been uh, certified through the Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health or the ITAP organization that certifies sexual addiction therapists. it's, It's really important to get to professionals that know what they're doing. For the coupleship, and really, um, for each individual member of this couple, you know, I did a training last week um, on partner betrayal and, and training clinicians and coaches on how to how to work within that very messy uh, tsunami and I see couples get better, and that's what makes me happy. I don't think I could do this work if I didn't see people get better and couples get better. But if you choose not to stay with the sex addict, that's okay too. I had a woman come in recently, and she just said, you know, even though you're teaching us empathy, he's not getting it. And I can't stick around and be with somebody who can't empathize with my pain. And boy, I understand that. You know, that's like a lifeline. When you've been betrayed, it is absolutely a lifeline to have the addicts understand the empathy needed to make this better. And so here's what I want to say to you. You know, obviously, you are doing your best to get through this ordeal. And I always say, we operate using our heads, what we think, our hearts, how we feel, and our gut, which is that intuition, what we know. And your world has been rocked, and so you may not be able to depend on those three very important parts of you that help to make decisions and to know reality. And that's why it's ever so important for you to get with people that understand this condition so that they can help walk you through it. And uh, today, I'm going to be talking with a specialist who had been working with couples for quite a while. Um, Dr. Christian Hutchinson completed her PhD in marriage and family therapy, and she's been practicing for over 15 years in sexual addiction. She treats addicts, partners, and families and helps them get through this. But what she noticed was that the couples that she was working with were struggling with sexual addiction and intimacy anorexia and they seemed to reach a plateau, and and she was having trouble figuring out, how do I get them past this plateau? And so today, she's going to be talking about her research that she did to figure out what she could do to help you navigate past that plateau. And I'm real excited about this, because lots of us therapists notice that couples reach a plateau. And We want them to deepen their relationship and their connection with each other, and so it's important to help them move past that. And we're going to find out what research did Dr. Christian do, and what did she find that really worked um, to deepen that connection? Because as you all know, sex addiction is an intimacy disorder. It is, um, it keeps connection from occurring. And so when people get in recovery, they are hoping with all their heart that they can either rebuild that or maybe even build it for the first time. Now, I maintain that when A client, when a sex addict, learns empathy skills and reflective listening and better communication, focused listening. When they're utilizing skills like mirroring, when they're asking permission to help with the triggers, they're going to be stronger and they're going to feel better. And that's going to deepen connection. And connection is indeed the antidote for sex addiction. Kind of a lengthy process. I just had another woman that came in in the last 48 hours, and she said to me, well, you know, I know that when a sex addict finds recovery and they're in their groups and they're getting the tools and they're feeling really good, that's often been called the honeymoon period. How long does the honeymoon period last? And I have to say, boy, what a great question. I wish I had the answer, but I don't. Honeymoon periods depend on the sex addict, the environment, the stress level. But we have been able to see, just like in other types of addictions, that there are markers, you know. Honeymoon period may begin to wear off somewhere between that three-month and six-month period because you kind of learned everything you need to learn and you're not lighting up the brain with new recovery tools. And so, as one might imagine, um, it starts to get a little boring or a little stale. Now, the guys in my sex addiction group, they say, Carol, boring is good. And what they mean by that is it is refreshing to not have to need that hit, that dopamine hit, that stimulation to, to exist. You know, many of you probably know that it's not necessarily the sex that's addictive. In actuality, what is addictive is the hit. And if you've ever studied any kind of drug or alcohol addiction, they'll tell you, you know, after the first, um, after the first time that someone does heroin or cocaine or crack, all the other times then involve chasing that first because no high is as good as that first high. Now with sexual addiction, I got to tell you, one of the things that happens from many, many, many men is they actually will hire the prostitute or the escort service, the massage um, masseuse, and they don't really feel the high of the actual act. What was addictive was the preparation, was making the call, waiting on the call back, scanning the web, you know, it's the anticipatory anxiety and fantasy that became the hit. If you don't think you know enough about sexual addiction, um, although my partners that I work with are masters at learning about this illness, you might want to go to sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com. That's through Blog Talk Radio because we have a lot of shows on sexual addiction there. And then I have a a YouTube channel that talks with addicts and partners at length. Well, not really at length. It's about eight minutes long. I do eight-minute blurbs. that gives you information. And one of my favorite videos that I did at at our Indianapolis equivalent, it's Head Talk, was on the gifts of being a sex addict which was really a play on words because what it was was the gifts of being in recovery and being a recovering sex addict. Because if somebody's really working a solid recovery program, wow, they are way better than the majority of men or women out there. And what I feel so fortunate about is that I get to see these men get better. And that's what I always said to myself, well, I need to pull the women in because I'm hearing that they're not doing so well. And of course they weren't. While their men's out there getting support, they're dealing and reeling with this betrayal typically all by themselves. And so if you're somebody that does not have enough support in your life, I'm going to encourage you to Google how you can find support close to you. You know, is it an Essendon group? Is it a COSA group? Is it an online group? AppSats offers a lot of really good coaching online groups that really makes a difference in the support that a partner may feel. And so there are options for you. And it's important for you to find them first and foremost by finding a therapist who really can help you to navigate through this horrible betrayal recovery. You know, um, it's hard. It's hard to recover from sexual and relational betrayal. But I do know you will grow stronger And I also know that your coupleship can grow stronger, too. And that's why we've got Dr. Christian online. She is a Ph.D. that has done research on this to take um, coupleship relationship issues to that next level to deepen that connection, which is so important. So, Dr. Christian, welcome to the show. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me on your program. Well, I so appreciate it because I personally work with a lot of couples and and this is such a difficult area and we get them working on all cylinders and at the same time they do tend to plateau and so you have noticed that and you decided that you were gonna do something about it. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your practice and then tell us how you Decided why you decided to do this research project.
1: Okay. Well, I have a private practice in Southlake, Texas, and I've been working with couples struggling with sexual addiction for about 15 years. Uh, As you said, during that time I did notice that as couples achieve sobriety and then are fully in recovery, they seemed to plateau in their growth and I wanted to see what we could do to help these couples really advance into a healthy and enduring relationship after recovery. And so
0: clearly you decided to take a challenge. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, yes, there was a call to action by Dr. Ken Adams at the last iTap symposium. And he asked, what can we do to change the narrative for these couples so that they are able to cross the threshold of vulnerability again? They, they're just kind of stuck in that spot where they feel adequate, but they're not willing to be vulnerable with each other. And he noticed the same plateau that I was seeing in my clients.
0: And so describe for our listening audience, what, what do you mean by plateau? What, what does it look like in your office?
1: The plateau that I'm talking about is that they would come in for their um, session and we would be basically just kind of nitpicking, well, he said this wrong or, or she didn't do this right. And so they kind of get, get stuck in this arena of, of little nitpicking and they're not taking it to the next level. They're not able to really open up and share with each other.
0: Okay, so then tell us how you formulated your research to try to understand it better and then figure out some solutions.
1: Okay. Well, I chose 12 couples from my private practice to participate in the research. The reason being that I chose them from my own practice is I knew where they were in recovery and that they were ready they were couples that were in various stages of recovery but all had indicated they wanted to keep the marriage intact and they were willing to try a different style of therapy. These couples had been receiving cognitive behavioral therapy with with me, usually uh, using the Carnes ITAP format. And as you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is looking to find the cause of behaviors and then changing them after insight is uncovered. In other words, it, it's a problem focused in the past approach.
0: Yeah, and so you actually started looking at a variety of different techniques and models to to use with your twelve couples. So how did you land on Dr. Linda Metcalf's work?
1: Yeah, Dr. Linda Metcalf is incredible. She's at Texas Wesleyan University and had recently published a book called Solution-Focused Narrative Therapy. And in her book, she combined the techniques of solution-focused therapy and narrative therapy. And this style helps the couple to look forward and to build a new narrative of what they want their preferred future to look like. So the couples in my research were given an inventory to measure their intimacy scale score and then they were given four sessions of solution-focused narrative therapy and then we retested with the inventory again. I found that they were able to achieve a higher intimacy score after the intervention of solution-focused narrative therapy and that it was by a significant amount.
0: Okay, so say a little bit more about that because we've got you know people on the line that may not even understand what solution-focused therapy is, let alone narrative therapy.
1: Yeah, solution-focused uh, wants to see what you envision for yourself in the future. What is your preferred future? What do you want it to look like? So it's a a looking forward aspect and then narrative is is finally getting down to the point of narrating in your own mind your story what do you want your story to be what do you want uh people to think about you and getting that new narrative out there so dr linda metcalf combined those two techniques and I just saw it as a perfect opportunity to help couples change their narrative and specifically go for a preferred future.
0: You know, I'll tell you what I really love about what you're suggesting is that what John Gottman says, that, you know, you really need to have a vision for your future as a connector for that place that you're going to go together. And yes. so fact that you used the therapy that focused on the positives what you envision for yourself the future is not only um, significant in that it takes people out of that that oh part of themselves that are defensive and hurt and wounded but yeah. it also gives them some hope some hope for the future and I'm a coach as well as a therapist, and we're always working with people, coaching them to how can you take your life to the next level. And sounds like some of the work that Dr. Linda McCaff does is a coaching principle, taking them to that next level.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, so you said that they got four sessions, to do the solution-focused narrative therapy. and When you you say narrative, does that mean that you ask them to write things down before, during, and after?
1: They can do some journaling, but solution-focused narrative therapy is not a homework-driven approach. It is asking them to, to think and then narrate out loud what they want the future to look like. And how to change the story that you think is being perceived out there compared to what that story is that you want told? Um, it really is quite empowering. Well, I bet, can
0: you give me an example by channeling maybe a compilation of some clients and and expressing what they might have said that they saw for themselves?
1: Yeah. So they would come in and, and you start with, uh, what are your best hopes for today's session? That's a solution-focused narrative, uh, solution-focused therapy technique. And so they might say something, the wife might say something like, I just, I want to get past being so angry in the morning. And you would ask them, okay, what does that look like? Well, I before I get out of bed, I start thinking about what he's done to me and, and the things that Um, have hurt me so much and then it just ruins my day okay well what benefit does that give you that you're thinking this way well it doesn't it ruins my day it puts me in a bad mood i don't want to see him things like that okay well what would you rather it look like Well, I'd rather jump out of bed and meet him in the hallway as I'm going towards the shower. He'd be smiling at me and he'd give me a cup of coffee and say, good morning, dear. Okay, well, that is an indication of what she wants her preferred future to look like. And she's narrating how to do that. And so even though it's not a directive to the to change this behavior he is now hearing positive things that he can do that are actually doable that will make a change in that relationship so we go through that process with each one in session together and they get to hear that each one of them want to be in the relationship that they want to have a connection with the other one and what the future could look like it's really impressive
0: Well, I bet as well as it's done in the vein of this is possible for us. I believe you can provide this for me. And the fact that he's getting to hear her say that she needs this positivity, um, this hopefulness, I would think that that would just be a win for both of them and certainly for the coupleship.
1: It definitely is a win-win. And, and I love to then ask them, as far as legacy building, what do they want their grandkids to notice about you when when this new style is working? And learning how to be connected and how to be intimate and how to be uh, back in a loving, healthy relationship is so important for generations coming.
0: Well, I agree. And, you know, the APSAPS model um, they promote that because the sex addicts originally caused the wounding and the pain, it's imperative for him to help her heal. And one of the ways that he can do that is to sit with her pain and develop empathy and relational skills that really say to her, I know I caused this and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make this better for you. And when he does that, then clearly she feels better, which then makes him feel better, which allows them to rebuild the relationship. And so what you're talking to us about is something that goes way beyond that initial getting over the wounding and the healing. I mean, it really is an opportunity to create a picture of what a relationship could look like Despite the past,
1: exactly
0: and, you know yeah that that's amazing now, tell us a little bit about some of these couples. Were they younger, older, you know what was the spectrum of who they were and what they had been through?
1: Well, I had a really nice spectrum to research the The couples ranged in age from twenty four to seventy they had been married between two years and thirty seven years. They were uh, between, like, 37000 to 500000 annual household income, <clears throat> and it also ranged in length of time that they had been in therapy. Uh, one couple had been in therapy for 18 months, and another couple had been in therapy for six years. So what I found is that it didn't matter where they were on the spectrum of independent variables they were able to increase their intimacy score. And solution-focused narrative therapy helped these couples to really begin to look at their preferred future and talk to each other and actually narrate what they wanted their future to look like.
0: And so did you find that there were certain generations that did it better than others or uh, were the men better at it than the women or were the partners better than the sex addicts? I mean, What's the inclination here?
1: Right, right. In this study, all of the addicts were males and all of the partners were females. So it wasn't generalized as um, the addict being the female and the partner being male. So this study was very specific. And the addict, of course, really liked the new style because it's not looking at the faults anymore. It wasn't about nitpicking from the past. But what I found as the most interesting is the partners taking a new stance of autonomy. That was just fantastic. I interviewed the couples about uh, after the intervention and wanted to know what really worked the best for each style of therapy. And they both said that they liked the Educational and structural components of the cognitive behavioral therapy that we had used to get in through, in and through recovery, but they said that they liked the, um it gave them a sense of stability as they were working through the early stages of recovery. However, the solution-focused narrative therapy work, the addicts were able to find hope that it wasn't going to stay in this uh, negative past-focused stance and hope that there would be a new meaning and a revitalized future for them to build together. For the partner, and this is what I really found exciting, they found that new sense of autonomy. They commented that they had been waiting for the addict to change and they felt like they were still victims waiting until they had done their work, and they didn't want to remain in that victim stance of waiting on something else to change before they could. So with solution-focused narrative therapy, they were given uh, permission to dream outside of the uh, current situation and, and the current box that they felt trapped in. So they could go ahead and look forward to see what they wanted their relationship to look like. And they were able to decide for themselves what was really important to them, independent of the addict. I found a real sense of relief for the partners when they realized that they were in control of their own future.
0: Well, that totally makes sense. And, you know, that's really what they're wanting because their life obviously has felt so out of control. And even when they begin to get control, if there's any slipping or relapsing, it throws them right back out of that and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a big believer in um, when you're working with a couple, they ha- he has to have had good, uh, a good demonstration of recovery because you can't talk about intimacy and connection and trust if he's acting out. So my practice is such that, you know, they'll do early recovery couples work, which will, they'll learn a lot of the skills that they need to get through every day and to begin to decide what is it they want from each other. But what your work is, is true couples work. I mean, it is a couples therapy model, correct?
1: Yes, definitely. And I think you brought up a really good point, and that is the timing of switching from cognitive behavior to a solution-focused narrative therapy. And that timing being that if he's not in a solid recovery, or the addict, I should say, I'm sorry, the addict is not in solid recovery, then this is not going to work. Because it's difficult for the partner to be looking forward if the addict has slipped back.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, again, I have two questions. Maybe you answered the one, but I'm not, Sure that you did. How did you? I mean, you took this challenge and you decided you were going to see what might be out there clinically that would take these folks to the next level. So how did you fall on Dr. Linda Metcalf's work? Solution-focused narrative therapy. I mean, what made you decide I'm going to pick her work?
1: Ah. I am so blessed to have gone to Texas Wesleyan University to get my Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy. It is a phenomenal program that uh, is a cohort style, and you go through all of the classes as a cohort. So there were 12 of us um, and we went through the program together. And when you work with that group of people for four years and you really dig into each different style of, of treatment that each person brings to the table and then listening to the master therapist come in that Dr. Metcalf brings to the group, she's amazing She would bring in master therapists, so we've had uh, Dr. Donald Mickenbaum come in and present for a weekend. We've had um, just the experts in all modalities come in and present, but Dr. Metcalf uh, recently published this book in Solution-Focused Narrative Therapy of combining the two techniques, and When I read that, it was like, okay, this has got potential. Looking forward and helping them to communicate what they want, it was just a blessing.
0: Well, and it sounds like it's also your energy and spirit that you knew that that's one of the pieces that continued to be lacking in the work you were doing. You couldn't get them over the hurdle to figure out how to do that and so this was a nice methodology if you will to
1: try to see if it made a difference correct absolutely and and I'm just so happy to see that it really did make a difference on the ones that had the smaller amount of improvement it was because of a, a relapse or it was because of other criteria that had affected them
0: Well, I was going to ask you, you know, what did your research findings actually show? So I know that you said that it was very empowering to the partner. Um, Continue and tell us a little bit about what would our normal listening audience have seen as the result, the outcome of this therapy?
1: And that's actually one of the questions uh, using solution-focused narrative therapy. So if this preferred future was a reality and it became a reality tomorrow, what would you notice that was different? And then they start to envision how it, be, how it would be different. Oh, he would be bringing me coffee in the, in the morning like he used to do. Oh, she would smile at me when I came home from the office, and I would know that she would be happy to see me. So they start talking about those things that either they used to have or want to have now, and they visualize what this new new approach would look like. And it's just so empowering because they get bogged down in recovery work and and getting stuck and fixing problems. This is looking forward and giving them real hope.
0: Well, it sure is. And so my other question is, and did you get to then speak with Dr. Linda Metcalf about solution-focused narrative therapy and share with her the research
1: that you did? Yes, yes, absolutely. She was just... um A godsend to me from the standpoint that she helped me to design the research and she helped me to come up with the scales to measure and treatment plans. And it was just very, very helpful to get it straight from the master as to how to carry out the therapy and what it would look like. She did a fabulous job in helping me to organize the research.
0: Yeah, what a research team you had by getting to go to the master, huh?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Okay, so we do have clinicians and coaches that listen to this show. And what would you advocate for us to do to follow up on the research and the work
1: that you've done? Okay, well, the... Uh, research itself is going to be published in the next two months or so, so that will be coming out. But get L- Dr. Linda Metcalf's book, Solution-Focused Narrative Therapy, and study about how she has combined the two techniques and, and really uh, delve into the concepts behind it. Once you, you get a hold of it and really start to um, understand it, it's quite easy. It's not a formulated path that you've got to do X, Y, Z to help these couples. It's just a very easily conversation about what is it that you want to accomplish, what would that look like, what would need to happen in your world, controlling of your own behavior to make this happen. It's very, very comfortable, and the clients loved it.
0: All right. So definitely get the book, look for the research, it's coming out. Now I want to ask you, was there anything else that you found out in your research in terms of um, how they functioned?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With solution-focused narrative therapy, a note is sent to the couple in between sessions talking about what it was that they had wanted for their future. And so many of the clients said it was so nice to receive that note halfway through the week or or within a week, talking about, oh, yeah, that's what I want, and kind of reigniting the ideas of what they said in therapy about what they wanted. And they really enjoyed that midpoint pick-me-up kickstart to stay focused on the positive and the preferred future. It was empowering.
0: Oh my gosh. All right. So, what, you know, what do you have planned next for your couples, for yourself, for your research and for this challenge that I suspect is ongoing?
1: Yes, it is because I really would like to do some more research on what are, what's the criteria for that fine line of timing? When is the couple ready to start looking to the future instead of looking back? So I do plan to redo the, the research, but changing the criteria a little bit. Um, you know, when when is that good indication of the timing before they reach the toe and and somewhat burn out and just stick with where they're at. So there will be new research coming.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And how are you getting this information out to us? You know, as clinicians, I know that we are a member of ITAP, and obviously Dr. Ken Adams is an instructor at ITAP, an amazing couples therapist, and then APSACS. So Mm -hmm. tell us
1: a little bit about how you can share everything you've just compiled with our organizations yes i am looking forward to presenting uh at itap at the at the next time around i'm looking forward to presenting a workshop at itap symposium um i'm looking forward to presenting this at my um state conference for marriage and family therapy so i'm in the process of trying to get the word out that we've got some new tools with real potential
0: Well, I absolutely can't wait to read the book, and I'm so excited for you because, again, you are taking the couple's life to the next level, and that's, you know, one of the things that I say at the end of every radio show is that there will only be one of you at all times, and fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and take your life to the next level, and let's face it, this sexual addiction and partner betrayal is so devastating, and it leaves so many wounds, and what I know to be true is that when people work their recovery and when they gain the kind of tools they need, they actually get stronger. It's kind of like a broken bone. Wherever that break is, when it repairs and heals, it is actually stronger than the rest of the bone, and um, you are now doing what Patrick Carnes told us to do, which was to teach our clients that they can leave a legacy. And they do make a difference. And it's very important to give back. And so I just love the legacy thing. You know, you said that would be for generations to come. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Well, um, I think you, you nailed it, and that is when couples come in and they're so broken and they, they're just destroyed, now we're going to have to have our Christmases and our holidays separate. We're going to have to do this and do that. And it's like, no, if you dig in and you do the work and you really focus, yes, it's intense, but if you focus and stay on track, this is the marriage that you always dreamed about having and never actually had, it can be better than it ever was. And that's something that I enjoy significantly with my husband is a relationship that I never thought was possible, and it just keeps getting better and better. So I wanted to see how do we get this out to other couples that are struggling, that it's not always going to be this horrible event can get a lot better. Oh,
0: very well said thank you so much
1: anything else you want to share with our listeners before we end the show today I'm just excited about this research and the new tools that, that we're looking at and, and I think leaving the legacy of great marriages is highly important
0: oh I do I you know I was single until I was 44 and I'm 63 as of last week and One of the things that I knew from all the marital researchers as well as therapists is that they said, you know, being single is a great life, but you really don't grow until you get married and and have kids. And, And that's because marriage in and of itself is difficult. You have to negotiate and compromise. You have to be able to put the other person first, but then you have to maintain your own identity. And, and so Again, when something like sexual betrayal or partner betrayal has occurred, it really can leave its mark, and you've just proven through your research that there are lots of ways that you can envision your life better. Now, I know the partners that are listening out there would say, but it has to be safe first. And your 12 couples have been working good recovery and been working good therapy And they did feel safe. They just didn't know how to get out of the rut um, that a
1: lot of marriages get into. Wouldn't you agree? That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. It has to be after solid recovery work, but then not lose traction of the continual growth. That's exactly right.
0: Well, Dr. Christian, I really thank you for our listening audience if you've tuned in late. I'm talking with... Dr. Christian, Uh, she is out of Texas. Her last name is spelled H-U-T-C-H-E-S-O-N, Dr. Hutchinson, and she took a challenge to work with couples to find something that got them past that plateau that so many couples feel when they've been in therapy for a while and they can't find the hope and the visioning for the future. So I really appreciate your work, really appreciate your time, and I want to wish you continued success.
1: Thank you so much, Carol. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell the world about how excited I am with this new research. Amen. Thank you much, ma'am. You have a great week.
0: You too. Bye. All right. So again, that was Dr. Christian Hutchinson, and I mean, she is really, um, she's putting the research behind her beliefs, and we love that. When there is empirical data to support something, we want to know about it. And this show is all about getting you the information you need to make the best decisions possible for you, for your partner for your family, and for the coupleship at large. Thanks so much for listening today, and we will talk with you next week. And I already kind of reminded you of our tagline, but there really will only be one of you at all times. So I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be your self, be safe, I was thinking ahead of time, and practice a lot of good self-care this week, would you? Because self-care helps to combat. Some of the stress that you're dealing with. And I got one more homework assignment for you, and that is to think about your relationship and ask yourself, as long as your relationship feels safe right now, what would you like to see in the future? And if you can't do that, then my next homework assignment would be how would you like to see yourself in five years, ten years? 20 years, or 30 years? What vision do you have for yourself? Get creative and have a little fun with it. I'm Carol the Coach, and this is Betrayal Recovery Radio um, with AppSets.org. For more information, go to AppSets.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.